The following audio is from a sermon series entitled, A Church for the City. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? This is the word of the Lord. Good morning again. Um, we want to welcome you to Sacred City Church. My name is Alex Reguello. I'm one of the pastors here at Sacred City Church. It's a joy that you are worshiping with us this morning. Really quick before I get started, if I could just acknowledge you guys as the congregation, as the, the receivers, the hearers of God's word being preached and, and read on Sundays, that you guys have kind of had a, a, some, a lot of demands put on you very recently. You know, last week you were asked to kind of participate in this call and response type service to make the guest preacher feel a little bit more comfortable, and which you guys did awesome at. We thank you for that. And then a couple weeks before that, you were asked to stop being like a dental office, which I think you guys did a pretty good job of that as well, right? You were asked to some, amongst some other things that you were asked, and again, you guys continue to respond pretty well. So if I could just be a little bit pastoral before I get preachy, preachy and, and let you guys know that I'm thinking about you. I know the stress that you've been under. I know the pressure that you've been under here on, on Sunday mornings. And I just want to let you know I'm praying for you in that. And if you guys would like to talk about that specifically with an elder, I would love to volunteer my fellow elders to, to definitely hear <laughs> those sort of things. But also want to let you know that I'm not going to put any demands on you this morning, right? I would love it if you guys would respond to my preaching by shaking of the heads or some yas and some amens. It would be great if you wouldn't pull out a magazine and actually act like you were in a dental office. But also know that even if that happened, my personality is not one that's going to yell at you if, even if you do that. <laughs> not going to do that. I don't have snipers up there ready to take you out if you go up to go to the bathroom, right? My jujitsu buddies aren't there ready to keep you from going to get coffee. None of that stuff's going to happen today. So let's just relax, right? Let's just invite the spirit here to, to speak to us. Can we do that this morning? Yeah. Good. Hopefully you guys knew that that was a big joke. <laughs> Looking at some of you like, we have had a lot of demands put on us recently. <laughs> right? I thought they said you could go at your own pace. <laughs> if you're new, that just went right over your head. But hey, I always like to get a few jabs at my brother and our pastor, Justin Dean. Every time I'm up here, he makes it so easy with his personality. He gives me lots of good content. <laughs> and actually, the only thing he ever has on me is talking about how many kids I have, which... I guess it's still a little bit funny, but he doesn't have much to talk about when he's up here with me. All seriousness, the other thing I like to do when I'm up here is really just verbalize my appreciation for Pastor Justin. He has been the primary discipler in my life. He has taught me about Jesus. He's called me to love Jesus and, and really just showed me what it looks like to love and to follow Jesus more than anybody else has. Um, so it's a joy to actually fill this pulpit today, a, a pulpit that he fills so well that he has so much gifting for and so much passion for. And we should all be very thankful for the past couple weeks of him having a, some time off, a couple weeks off, right? To be able to just enjoy rest and be able to enjoy being recharged and be able to enjoy a vacation with his wife and, and, and not, from, not here, right, on a beach. All of those things we should be thankful for. Number one, because we love our brother, right? We want good things for him and for his family. But we also know that when he comes back next week, we're going to get a better Justin, Right? We're going to get a better preacher, and that's good for us and glorifying to God. So praise God for that. But that, of course, is next week. Today we got some work to do. So if you're just joining us today, what we've been doing for the past month or so is we've been in a series called A Church for the City. 
We've been looking at what the Bible actually says about cities and how the church's relationship with the city should look. We've learned that God loves cities, that he's actually going to center our future home, the new heavens and the new earth around a city, the new Jerusalem, the Bible calls it. He loves cities because there's lots of people in cities and people, unlike anything else in all of creation, were actually created in his image. We could say with some of his glory. And what we're supposed to do with that glory, we have as humans, is to show it off to the rest of creation so they could look in at that glory and know who God is and what he's like. This has been the job of the people throughout the story of God, and it continues to be the job of the church now. The church has been called to put down roots in the city and be about its flourishing. The church, which is made up of a bunch of people who were once in darkness, but brought out of that darkness and brought into the light, are now called to be a light in the darkness of the city they live in. Be the soul of the city, as was mentioned a few weeks ago. In the past couple of weeks, we've actually been diving into what it looks like. What does it look like to be a church for the city? Two weeks ago, we heard that the church is supposed to connect people to God by introducing them to the person and work of Jesus Christ who is God himself and represents everything that God is about, but also by inviting them into gatherings where the church is worshiping the God they serve so that they could come to know who that God is, but also so that the people who are worshiping him actually enjoy him. Then last week, we looked at connecting people to the people of the city. Pastor Derek talked about if we are actually doing that, then we'll be crossing lines that no other group of people are actually going to cross. If we're going to make this city look like the city that is to come in the future that God is bringing, then we will have relationships with people who are unlike us, different races, ethnicities, tax brackets, ages, genders. The crossfitter will come together with the jazzercizer, the chiropractor with the medical doctor. People we don't understand and maybe even don't like, we will pursue relationships with if we are actually for the city. We will see them as our neighbor and love them as Jesus has commanded. Well, today, our topic is connecting people to the city. Different from last week in that this week, we're not primarily talking about relationships with people, but we're actually talking about the tangible needs of the people in the city. A popular term used nowadays for this type of thing is called social justice. Doing what is right for all in our society. Now, some of you might know that this topic for... The past hundred years or so, and very much so now, was very controversial in Christianity. Much of it depends on what you actually see as justice, but on one side, we have people who are very conservative, and what they would say is that the primary mission of the church is to preach the gospel, preach salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And anything outside of that is unbiblical for the church to pursue. And on the other side would be people who are more liberal. And they would say that we should be about the needs of society and filling those needs, even to the extent that the truth of the biblical gospel doesn't need to be explicitly shared. A social gospel, we might say. Well, without diving too deeply into that controversy this morning, what we want to say is we don't want to have either of those extreme perspectives. And we don't want to have that extreme perspective because we don't believe the Bible teaches those extreme perspectives. It doesn't see this dichotomy between ministries of word and deed, but we see them as tightly held together. In other words, people who have been 
changed by grace and have now been called to be disciples who make disciples will not only care about the souls of the people in the city, their salvation, but also care about justice being brought to the world or specifically the city. That's what it actually means to be on mission. It's holistic. Jesus didn't only come to open up heaven for people. He came to bring restoration to his entire creation. That's what we want to look at this morning. What does it look like to connect to our city through being people who are about justice? But before we jump into that, would you please pray with me? Father, we thank you for what's already happened this morning. Just for the songs that we sang, for the prayers that were prayed, for the liturgy that was read, Lord, you've called us in to worship you, and we want to do that right now by preaching your word and by hearing your word preached, Lord. So we will fail at that if we're left to ourselves there. So would you help us? Would you help me preach? Would you help them listen? Speak through my mouth. Listen to their ears, Lord. Affect hearts this morning, Lord, with your word. We want to be people who are about what you want us to be about. So show us what that is this morning for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So one of the toughest things for me in my preparation for this sermon was actually settling in on a text. And it's not because there's not a lot of text about justice. Actually, justice is talked about throughout the entire Bible. So because there were so many of them, I didn't really know which way to go. So because I have a son named Micah, I actually chose Micah. That's not why I chose Micah. <laughs> I chose Micah because it seemed to be the most clear. So if you could open up your Bibles, what I want to do to start is just read through this verse again. It's a short one. So open up your Bibles to Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Let's read. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. So there it is. Just like so many other passages in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, where the Old Testament law is dominant, New Testament, the law has been fulfilled, but it's not negated or dismissed by Christ or any of the other authors. God clearly calls his people to, as it says here, do justice. So from here... What I want to do with the rest of our time is a few things, four to be exact. Number one, I want to define justice, talk about what it actually is. Number two, I want to magnify justice, talk about why it's important for the Christian. Number three, I want to illustrate justice, talk about how we actually do it specifically within our context here at Sacred City. And number four, empower justice, talk about where we get the power and desire to actually do it. So let's define it. If we look at the Hebrew word for justice here in Micah, it's misbot. It's used over 200 times in the Old Testament in various forms, and it means to treat people equitably or impartial. Or if you're like me and the way your vocabulary is set up, you need a more common definition. It means to be fair. The word justice in the Old Testament is many times used in the context of a court of law. To do justice means to try someone in, court, in the court of law fairly, regardless of race or social standing. If the evidence is there that showed they were guilty, then the punishment, they, they were to be punished accordingly. If the evidence showed that they were innocent, then they were to be released justly. If a rich man was convicted of murder, 
he was to receive the same punishment as the poor man convicted of murder. That's fairness. That's justice. So when God uses Micah here to speak to his people, he is absolutely speaking of that type of justice, but he means more than that specific use. He is saying that to do justice means to give people their rights, to give people what they are due, whether that be proper punishment or proper protection or proper care or support. Now, in order for us to actually understand what proper means there, what, a rights, what rights a person actually has, we would have to understand what actually qualifies them to have rights. In Micah here, the people God is speaking to are his people, it's the Israelites. So that might make you assume that a person's rights are based on their citizenship or their ethnicity. But if we actually look at the Levitical law, that God gave to his people, that law included justice for even those outside the Israelites. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 34. You should have it on the screen. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. You shall love him as yourself. So if we take this, and we could go many other places to show this, what we see is what qualifies a person to have rights is not their ethnicity or their social status or whether or not they have citizenship, but it's the biblical truth that they were created imago Dei in the image of God. That's what gives a person their rights. And if it's that, that they were created in the image of God that qualifies them to be treated fairly, then what can be implied here is proper treatment of a person, what is actually fair for them, has to be determined by the culture, by us as individuals, right? Fairness is just relative. Absolutely not. Fairness, proper treatment for a human being is determined by the creator of all human beings. It's determined by God. So to keep things simple here this morning, justice is treating people the way God says that person is supposed to be treated. Now, this is where things can get kind of hazy, though. The big controversy that I mentioned before that we see in the evangelical world and even in, within reform circles seems to be happening because of this very issue. What can happen is that from that definition of justice, people can have their own standard of how a person should be treated and call it God's standard. We want to try to avoid that as much as possible. We want to, as Pastor Kevin DeYoung says in an article he wrote for the Gospel Coalition, be careful not to oversell or undersell what the Bible says about justice. We can very easily make the Bible support anything and everything that we think would be good for the world or good for people and call it social justice. You could think that everyone in our city should stay 50 cars back when they go over the 74 bridge instead of zipper merging. And as soon as a car goes on the side of you on the left and doesn't stay in the back of the line, you cry out injustice, <laughs> sinner. Or between those that would claim Christianity and those who would not with something like abortion, one side is going to believe, rightfully so, that to uphold justice would be to protect the defenseless child. So doing justice for them is going to be ending abortion. 
But the other side, to uphold justice, would be keeping the freedom of choice for the woman. So to fight for justice in their minds is getting looser abortion laws. So again, in order for us as Christians to know what justice is, we need to know what God says it is, not what we think it is or what the culture would tell us it is. So the key here then is to fight to stay true to the text. For this specific text, in order for us to know what Micah means by do justice, we would want to know the context that this call to justice is presented in. We would want to know what the people of Judah in this case are doing that is not fair so that we can know why God makes this call. For time's sake, we can't look at the entire book, but if we look at the first three verses of chapter three, I think we can see a good picture of what's happening. It says, hear you heads of Jacob. So he's talking to leadership here, people in high places. And the rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice? Basically saying, are you somehow exempt from doing what I've clearly laid out for you to do as my people? You who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin from off my people and their flesh from off their bones, who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them and break the bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron. God's not messing around. He's telling them that you are like wicked cannibals who are chewing up my people with power and influence. So what the people of Judah were doing that led God to call them back to justice is the rich, the well-off, the people in high places were siding with their own. Other people that were like them that could bring them financial gain and not being fair to the poor or the people in low places. They were being greedy bribers who would take land by force, speak lies to get their way and oppress the poor to increase their own wealth. So to summarize, doing justice here and much of the other uses of the phrase in the Old Testament, God's people were commanded to not steal, not bribe, not cheat. They were called to render fair and impartial judgments. And at all times, whatever calling, they were to do good and not evil. This very much looks like what we see Jesus teach in Luke 10, doesn't it? This very much looks like what we see Jesus teach in that Good Samaritan parable. This call from the Old Testament is very much like the call to love your neighbor as yourself. We all want to be treated fairly. None of us want to be stolen from or cheated. We all want good done to us and not evil done to us. Well, to do justice means to fight for that for your neighbor. If we add Luke 10, the parable of the Good Samaritan, to our Old Testament definition of justice, we can not only say that doing justice means treating people fairly, but also what's within God's idea of giving people what they are due is not just fairness, but it's the promotion of their flourishing. And specifically, people who we come into contact with who lack resources to promote their own flourishing. Man, I wish I could dive into that more, but we can't this morning, so let's move on. That's what justice is. The next thing we want to do is magnify it. Look at why it's important for the Christian. Now, after just hearing about Jesus saying, love your neighbor as yourself, you're probably saying, well, that's, that's an easy answer. It's important for the Christian to love justice, to do justice, because Jesus says it's important. And you'd be right. So maybe I should just move on. But unfortunately, this is something that we easily forget. So what I want to do is build a case here to bring to remembrance 
what God has actually called us to do. One of the major themes with Christians today is we want to magnify grace and the biblical truth that we are under it, but then minimize the law. And this could be for good reason. It is by grace that we have been saved through faith. It is not by works of the law that merits us salvation. But what that shouldn't mean for us is that we can check the box of being saved by grace and then go live however we want. It's very easy to claim Christianity, but then go do your own thing. But God's standard still applies. From that scripture that we read in Micah, Micah 6.8, if you look at the verses, the few verses ahead of it, these people, God's people that he was speaking to, seemed like they were sorry for what they did. They realized what they did when he called it out, and then they said, God, what should we do? How can we be made right with you? Should we give more sacrifices? Should we sacrifice more animals? Should we sacrifice more oil? They literally said, should we sacrifice our firstborn child? They're ready to try to make it right with God. And what does he say? He said, he has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. He's saying, I don't want your religious observances. I don't want you to come together and just do things. I literally want your heart to change, and I want you to be about what I am about. Part of loving him and obeying him is being about what he's about. That's what we're still called to today. Fighting for what he's fighting for. Working for what he's in the process of working for. So what I want to do real quick is just take a survey to see if the God of the Bible is about justice. See if justice is something that he's actually working for. Deuteronomy 16 verse 19 says, You shall not pervert justice. Psalm 37, 28, for the Lord loves justice. Psalm 101, 1, I will sing of steadfast love and justice. Psalm 106, 3, blessed are they who observe justice. Proverbs 21, 15, when justice is done, it is a joy to the righteous. Isaiah 1, 17, do good, seek justice, correct oppression. Isaiah 30, verse 18, for the Lord is a God of justice. Isaiah 42, 1, he will bring forth justice to the nations, Matthew 12, verse 18, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. Our Lord loves justice. He loves his law. He loves when it's obeyed. Do we? Do we love God? Do we love his standard? Do we love when his law is obeyed so much that we will actively go out and fight for it in this city? Or are we mainly or even only concerned with what's happening in our own lives, our own families, maybe our own church? As long as I'm not being oppressed, as long as people are doing good to me and not evil to me and my family, then that's all I need to be concerned about, right? Justice? I get mad when people say happy holidays and not Merry Christmas anymore. Is that good enough? That's what the culture will tell you. But that's not how a Christian should think. A Christian is not in charge of his or her life anymore. They are no longer Lord over their life anymore. As Christians, we have a new Lord. And that Lord doesn't say, believe in me so that you can go to heaven and then go live however you want. That Lord says, go and be salt in light of the world. That Lord says that we were saved in him for good works. Works that will, people will not look at us and Bring us praise, but we'll glorify our Father in heaven. Sacred City Church doing justice in our city does not 
bring us salvation. Only faith in Jesus Christ can do that. But having that faith and not doing justice would be, as James says in his book, a faith that is dead. I'd say that makes bringing justice pretty important for the Christian. I don't want a faith that is dead. I want a faith that is alive and vibrant, a faith that stirs in me a compassion for the lost and broken in this city, a faith that causes me to not stand idly by while injustice and darkness thrives in this city, but causes me to step into that darkness and bring the light that I have in me and with me. That light being Jesus Christ, who has been given all authority in, on heaven and in heaven and on earth. That's what our city needs. They need Jesus Christ and they need people in this city who have Jesus Christ in them. They need Jesus proclaimed from our lips and they need him felt through our touch. They don't just need to hear that God loves them and cares for them. They need to feel it. They need to experience it. That's why we're here. That's what God's called us to do. We sung about it, right? Shout it from the mountains. Go out and tell the masses. We need to do that. But what we also need to do is come down from those mountains and go out to the masses and actually show them who God is. That's what we need to be doing. So that's what we should do. But with our third point, let's just illustrate what that looks like. What does bringing light to our cities actually look like? Bringing justice to the cities typically with many churches has been done in the past with what are called mercy and justice ministries. You may be familiar with these. These ministries have focused on caring for the less fortunate in the city. What the Bible would describe as widows, orphans, immigrants. We could say homeless Single mothers, disadvantaged kids, those under the oppression of addiction. We don't have that type of ministry here at Sacred City. Maybe we will in the future, but we do have this type of thing built into our philosophy of ministry. Between Davenport and Moline, we have 16 missional communities. Every single one of them have a corporate mission that they are on. This means that they have chosen a people and a place in our cities to pursue with the gospel of Jesus Christ as well as bringing mercy and justice along with that gospel. Tim Keller in his book, Center Church, calls this gospel messaging, preaching and sharing the gospel along with gospel neighboring, which is ministering to the needs of the city. 180, Hope at the Brick House, the Leslie and Bridge programs at Family Resources, Pregnancy resources, King's Harvest, elementary schools, neighborhoods, single mother families, and many more are all people and places that we here at Sacred City are partnering with in order to bring mercy and justice to this city. As a church, this stuff is in place. It is happening. And we want to celebrate that. And we want to ask you to join us in that. Something that's very easy to not subjectively, but objectively evaluate whether or not we as individuals are doing justice in this city is to simply look at our attendance at the mission nights or mission days that are scheduled by our missional communities. We can debate whether or not those days are fruitful. Our MCs can continue to have the discussion of whether or not the strategies are best practices. But one thing is for sure, if we aren't going, if we aren't showing up, we are missing out on an opportunity to do justice in our city, to bring light to dark places. That's why we're there. I know there's kids' activities, date nights, work, families coming to town, belief that mission nights are not what, where our gifts are at. I've said them all. 
I've used them all to justify not showing up, but shame on me. Many of those things, and maybe all of those things are true, but if I really looked at it in my heart, what really kept me from not wanting to go or even just not going was selfishness. I forgot who my Lord was. I forgot what he was about. I forgot what he loves, which is being for the city, the less fortunate, those who are suffering, those who have been oppressed. I would like to think that he's about my comfort, but he is not. That's the first thing I want to charge us with. If you have been avoiding these opportunities for whatever reason, repent of whatever it is you are believing and turn to Christ and what he has asked of you, which is to be for the city. Secondly, just as we want to be on mission as a community, meaning we want to be bringing gospel messaging to people as a community, it is also understood that individual mission should be happening as well. We should be living our lives with gospel intentionality, we say, building relationships, sharing our faith with those in our lives who don't know Christ. Well, that's the same way we want to be bringing justice to the city. Participate in your MC's corporate mission, yes, but also seek justice in your everyday lives. Again, this is what we've been called to do. It's what it means to be on mission. God's mission is to be known. He has given his church the mission of making him known through sharing the good news of the gospel and then living a life that has been changed by that gospel. Living our lives rightly in obedience to God that we are not bringing more injustice to this city, but also being intentional about stepping into that darkness, stepping into dark places where injustice is already happening. There are plenty of opportunities in our city to do this. Opportunities that have already been established that we can simply partner with, feeding the homeless, homeless shelters, food pantries, plenty of other ways. But more than that, in our everyday lives, are we being intentional about the promotion of human flourishing. These videos that we've been seeing every week have been great examples of that. That's what we wanna be doing. With every person we come into contact with within our cities, no matter how different they are from us, no matter what race, no matter how rich or how poor, even if they don't believe what we believe, even if they totally reject God, we should be about their flourishing. Again, specifically with those who have less resources than us. Last week, Pastor Derek asked us a question. Kind of take the temperature of how we're doing at being a neighbor. He said, what's your dinner table look like? Hopefully we thought about it. Is it only your family? Is it only people who are like you? But the question for this week is, what does your schedule look like? Is it full of work and kids' activities and church functions and leisure time? and has no time to actively pursue justice to this city. Remember, we as Christians who are part of Sacred City Church are a family of missionary servants learning to live all of life together for the glory of God. Our schedules should reflect that. They should reflect our identities we have been given by Christ. Specifically for this topic, they should reflect our identity as a servant, one who leaves the comfortability of his or her own home, own rhythms, own fleshly desires to step into the ugliness and brokenness and darkness to bring beauty, healing, and light. Some of us are far from that. Our schedules would show that we only serve ourselves or our own families. 
Some of us aren't that far away. We have it in our normal rhythms to serve and bring justice, but our motivation may be off. We may be doing it to avoid guilt or get praise. And I'm sure there are some of us who are actually nailing this in this room, who are passionate about mercy and justice in the city and are actively doing good work with the right motives. Or wherever we are at today, whether we need to turn from our ways or whether we need to celebrate what God is doing in us and through us, with the rest of our time, I want to highlight our last point for us. Let me try to empower justice because we may be feeling some weight this morning. I hope you are. Otherwise, I can start over and try again. <laughs> we may know that we need to make a change in our life in this area. But what we have to see here is being people who do justice in a way that glorifies God will not come from religion nor secular morality. Why? Because both of those things try to motivate us to do justice through duty and self-interest. I can't bring Jerry Lewis or Sally Struthers up here to empower justice. That won't work long-term. It actually more than likely will stir up pride in our hearts. If I'm the only one who has never missed a mission night, but I'm there every month because I'm trying to avoid the guilt that comes if I don't go, or because I want to feel the worth that I feel if I'm actually performing well in this area, how might I look at others who don't show up? I may think, what's wrong with these people? Why can't they just make it happen? I do. They think they're too busy to come. Do they want to see my schedule? They think that their kids need them. Do they know how many kids I have? <laughs> I've obviously had these thoughts go through my head once or twice. Pride and even resentment stirs up. So no, secular morality won't do it. Pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps won't do it. Duty won't do it either. Only beauty will do it. I stole that from Tim Keller. Well, what do I mean? Look at the end of Micah 6.8. It says, walk humbly with your God. Walk. Do daily life from a place of humility. This requirement of the Lord is what fuels the other requirement in the verse of doing justice. So where does humility come from? Remember, justice is about caring for people, making sure that they're properly treated and protected and provided for. If we are doing that in our cities, more than likely, these are going to be people who are not like us. They don't have what we have. They don't live where we live. They don't look how we look or talk how we talk. They might not even smell how we actually smell. There's something deep within us that hopefully Christ is redeeming right now that leads us to think about these people in such a way that says, you reap what you sow. They got in this mess. They can get themselves out. Pregnant teenager, she shouldn't have been messing around. Juvenile delinquent in a lockdown facility, they should have been smarter than that. Homeless person, they should have stayed in school or kept a job. They should take responsibility. They're just looking for a handout. If I help them, it's just enabling them to continue to not take responsibility for their life. Now, some of that is probably true. 
And there are definitely different levels of doing justice for the poor and needy in our city that we couldn't get into today. But here's a question for all of us. Here is where humility comes from. What if the father would have had those same thoughts? What if he would have looked at us and said, they don't need me. They don't need to be rescued. They got into this mess. They can get themselves out. Thank him that his ways are not our ways, that his thoughts are not like our thoughts, because if they were, Jesus never would have left heaven and entered into this world to rescue the poor in spirit like us. Do you see? What motivates Christians to do justice is beauty. What motivates us to leave our comfort, overcome our fleshly desires of not wanting to serve others that are in need is the beautiful picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we see ourselves correctly, that we are actually worse, more wicked than we ever thought possible, a wickedness that deserves nothing but condemnation and just punishment, but simultaneously more loved than we could ever imagine. A love that brings forgiveness and acceptance and adoption and salvation and glory forever and ever. When we see that clearly in all of its beauty, that changes us and causes us to then go and give ourselves in a similar way. My wife Emily loves to sign up for the bringing the meals for families who just had a baby. She does it every time it's available, which is about every other week around here. <laughs> she does it, yes, because she is good at preparing meals and she enjoys it most of the time, but her primary motivation to do it is because she's seen the beauty of having it done for herself. We have six kids, three of them, since we've been at Sacred City. That's a lot of meals. She's seen it many times. And that experience of having it done for herself is an experience that leads to not only knowing the needs the family has, because she's also had that same need, but also knowing the joy that's felt when that need is met. Same goes for doing justice. Part of the beauty of us being redeemed is seeing and knowing our dire need for it. A piece of that worse than we thought possible thing means that we have needs. Needs that we can't meet on our own. Needs that have to be met by someone else. Someone who has the resources that we don't have. Jesus Christ stepped into the darkness of this world and brought the light that we needed. When we are believing that, it humbles us and causes us to not think of ourselves as being better than the people in this city who also have needs. Needs that they can't meet on their own, but can be met by a church who is full of people who have their greatest need already met. If we can see that, we can do this. We can walk humbly with our God. We can love kindness. We can do justice like we've been called to do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for giving us what we need. 
as Joel's already brought to this morning, Lord, we first, if we're going to do justice, we have to first see that we were weak and we were poor, we were in need, we were powerless, and we absolutely needed you to pull us out of that. So, Father, we thank you that you've given us that, that you've given us what we need. And now we thank you that you have equipped us to go out and live the life that you've called us to live. And we want to do that. We want to be the people that you've called us to be in this city, but we need your help. So would you help us? Would you help us to be about justice in this city, to fight for justice in this city? Give us a heart for this city that we don't have right now and for the people in it. People that were created in your image, that have value, that have dignity, just because they're people who are created in your image. For no other reason do they need. These people not only need to hear your name shared through our words, but also experienced through the love of our actions. Send us out to do that. And don't just send us out on our own. Remind us that we have Jesus with us, the one who's been given all authority in heaven on earth. Help us to remember that he's in us and he's with us. And it's in his name that we pray this morning. Amen.